Welcome to the Institute of World Politics podcast. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. To learn more, please visit www.iwp.edu. Welcome to the Institute of World Politics. Um, for those of you that are new, are you all new? Anybody? Everybody been here? New guys. Okay. The new guys. Um, we are a graduate school of national security. So we have five degree programs um, that are master degrees. And we have 18 um, certificates of study. And we now have a doctoral program as of a couple of months ago. Um, so if you're interested in any of that, please see somebody, you know, a staff member after. Um, today's presentation is by Dr. Anna Ruth. Did you say that right? Close enough. Um, and she is a visiting uh, research fellow from uh, the University of Maryland. And she's in the public policy. Uh, right in. So um, she has been a postdoctoral fellow at, um, at the Chair of Management of Renewable Energies at the University of St. Gallen, Gallen, in Switzerland since 2014. And they actually let her back in the U.S. So uh, while she was there, she was responsible for the consumer barometer of renewable energy. And that, you know, she, I'm sure she'll cover some of that. Her other engagements included international cooperation project with the universities from Switzerland, Estonia, Ukraine, and this was all to improve the energy security in Eastern um, previously, she worked for a large commercial bank in Estonia, um, a solar research institute in Germany, and at SUNY, ESF, and Syracuse University, where she defended her PhD. Sounds like she can't keep a job. <laughs> Kidding. So anyway, she's very distinguished in her field. Um, she's quite intelligent, which you'll see as she begins. Um, and so please help me in welcoming uh, Dr. Booth. Now, I apologize, I have to go to a meeting. I'll try and make it back, but no guarantee. So I'll turn it over to you. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I was promised 56 participants, and uh, I'm sure that some of you have uh, signed up four or five times. Uh, this explains it. Uh, otherwise, I'm just blaming everything on the good weather. So it's the first day, over 70 degrees. Uh, no, nonetheless, thank you very, very much for coming, and I hope you will enjoy the presentation. It's based on my empirical work that I did uh, when I was part of the research consortium at the University of St. Gallen in Switzerland, which is one of the best business schools in Europe. Um, I'm going to start by providing a brief overview of energy landscape in these two countries. Then we will switch and I will talk about uh, survey results uh, and we'll see what are the energy preferences of the populations. Uh, just so that I know uh, whom I'm talking to, but a show of hands, are there any Estonians or Ukrainians in the room? 
right. Uh, anyone studying Eastern Europe or Ukraine? Um, I spent about two years in Romania. All right, well, that counts. Yeah. I spent five months in Romania, if that counts, is Eastern Europe too. All right, that's, uh, that's, that can be counted as Eastern Europe. Great, anyone uh, who knows a whole lot about energy? All right, great. So you're going to keep tabs on me, so I'm going to, go to uh, tell you if, uh, if anything but the truth. So uh, just to orient ourselves geographically, uh, here we go, here is Switzerland. Uh, here's Estonia up there north, and Ukraine is further down south. Uh, you might see that they share the same uh, neighbor on the eastern border. And uh, this fact has contributed to a great degree of angst uh, for both Estonian and Ukrainian media and politicians. Um, and uh, there are several reasons why energy security has been a concern for these countries, and I will explain why we talk about today about energy security and wind turbines. Uh, it's not very obvious. Uh, when, we, uh, uh, when we begin to think about it, uh, it makes sense. So several risk factors in energy supply in Ukraine. First, Ukraine imports natural gas from Russia, and they use it for, mostly for production of heat, uh, to a lesser extent production of electricity. Second, Ukraine has considerable coal reserves on the east side of the country, which, as we know now, uh, has a, uh, is conf uh, there's a conflict there. So there's been a decline in the production of coal, and the western part of the country does not get enough coal um, transported. Uh, so uh, both of these energy sources are facing increased uncertainty of supply, so the country um, started thinking about developing other domestic sources in the long term, and wind is a strong candidate. Estonia used to be more dependent on Russian gas, but now is facing a slightly different set of challenges. So currently Estonia generates most of its electricity and heat from domestic uh, oil shale and woody biomass. Uh, however, the EU has been pressuring Estonia to decrease uh, use of its oil shale uh, since uh, Estonia joined the club in 2004. Uh, so onshore and offshore wind energy uh, have been identified as um, one of the most promising sources for uh, to meet energy demand and increase energy security in these countries. So now we'll show you electricity mix in 2016. Um, as I mentioned before, oil shale is the largest Piece of the pie. Here is the woody biomass wood here. Estonia has a lot of forests. Here we have wind. Ten years ago, this industry didn't exist. So this is all new installations. Uh, electricity from wind uh, has been growing really rapidly. Uh, Estonia has committed to producing a quarter of all its energy consumption uh, from renewable energy by 2020. And it has already uh, met its goal. It's over 28%, and now Estonia is engaging in a beneficial trade of renewable energy quotas with Luxembourg. Uh, the electricity mix is currently uh, to 16.2% uh, renewable, and Estonia is actually net electricity exporter. So Estonia is connected um, to other Nordic markets with underwater cable called Estland, 
and uh, some of the most of the electricity that is imported to the, imported to the country is coming from Finland, and ex export happens to Latvia, which is means that electrons are transported from the north to the south through Estonia. However, there was no single electron traded between Estonia and Russia. Something uh, to know. Uh, electricity market is liberalized for end consumers who can, if they choose so, uh, procure 100% renewable energy. means a so uh, green energy in Estonia. You can print it on the t-shirt, put it as a bumper sticker in the car. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, consumers are free to choose their provider and the type of electricity they purchase. However, the TSO, the um, uh, Transmission Lines Operator, Ellering is state owned. Um, as we can see from the statistic, so Estonia joined the EU in 2004, this is consumption of oil shale, it's not going down. So, Old oil shale is still entrenched in the country the same way um, as coal is entrenched for West Virginians. Uh, Estonia has uh, unique deposits of oil shale and one of the most advanced oil shale mining industries in the world. Uh, oil shale is a strategic resource for en energy production. Uh, most of the uh, mined oil shale is used to produce electricity but the average uh, efficiency of these plants is pretty low. It's about 30%. The rest of oil shale is um, used to produce another type of fossil fuel, fuel oil. Um, at the same time, oil shale production uh, is connected to uh, major uh, air pollution. It's a source of CO2 emissions uh, that puts Estonia way up in the per capita emissions rate in the European Union. It uses great amounts of water, uh, and it has left about 1% of the country uh, with these beautiful landscapes pictured there. Uh, at the same time, oil shale industry provides an important um, opportunity for economic uh, growth and employment to about 1% of the population, which is especially important to the economically depressed east of the country on the border with Russia. Um, so I'll tell you a story about uh, ownership. Uh, um, sto um, story that went through the media uh, of Narva Elektrian, which is one of the major public Estonian electric plants on the border with Russia, uh, that uh, was supposed to be privatized in 2001. There was an American company, uh, NGR Energy, that uh, showed very strong interest and the deal was supposed to happen. However, it was stopped because first of all, 9-11 happened. And uh, second of all, there was a, a high amount of angst over um, the possibility that this privatized plant, if the uh, NGR goes bankrupt and it was having some financial troubles at that time. Uh, so the this plant would be put out on an auction and could have been potentially acquired by uh, the Russian cronies and would end up in the hands of Putin. So Estonian government stopped the deal. This power plant is still public and owned by the public. Uh, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, renewable energy and especially wind in Estonia. So uh, 
installed capacity. Um, electricity is measured in megawatts. Uh, there is a goal to increase that capacity to 400 megawatts of onshore and 200 megawatts of offshore wind. So develop both industries. However, at the moment, there is not a single offshore wind uh, turbine spinning in the country. So uh, this sector still needs to be built up. Uh, there is an uh, obligation to connect all wind energy producing plants to the grid so they can uh, sell their uh, electricity uh, to uh, the end consumer. However, at the moment, grid infrastructure is slightly lagging behind and it cannot accept uh, all the planned um, wind capacity. So the government developed a plan how to uh, update the grid. Uh, Estonian wind producers uh, receive a feed-in premium. Yep, here. Uh, this is the amount of money. Euros, more or less. It's a little more expensive than dollar, but you get the idea of how much they get. Uh, the deal here is that this is the amount of money that wind energy, wind electricity producers get on top of the market price. So it's like icing on the cake. And it's capped at 600 gigawatt hour of production per year, which is about 5% of the total uh, electricity production in the country. Uh, so you get the idea of how much it is. Uh, this cap is renewed every year. So for the first time, this cap was achieved uh, by Christmas 2015. And then by the new years, 2016, uh, Wind energy producers started uh, receiving feeding premium again. Is that part clear? Okay. Uh, now let's look at Ukraine. Ukraine has considerable coal reserves uh, and it relies on uh, nuclear power and uh, conventional thermal plants that burn stuff uh, to produce electricity. Hydropower. Uh, only constitutes 5% and non-hydro renewables, meaning wind and solar jointly, account for only 1%. However, the goal is to build out uh, renewable uh, energy considerably in the country um, to reach 12.6% 12, 12 by 2030. And um, at the moment, um, I'm not quite sure if this is realistic. This is a realistic target, but this is to be seen. Anyway, much of it will come from wind. Uh, the reason is that the country has pretty good wind potential, especially here. So this is the part where Black Sea is. Anyone been on the Black Sea? I spent a lot of my childhood there. Um, so there is 400. Uh, 26 megawatts of wind installed in the country. Just to give you the idea of the difference in scale, so Estonia had 331 megawatts, okay? But Estonia is uh, as big as two New Hampshire's and it has 1.3 million people. Ukraine is more than tw 12 times larger than Estonia uh, by size and it has 43 million. Um, so this, the goal of Ukraine is to uh, reach 2.7 gigawatt hours of wind production by 2030 and 3 gigawatts by 2035. Uh, 
wind energy has great potential. IRENA, which is an international independent agency, estimated that the country could get as much as 27 terawatt hours of electricity from wind, while currently uh, the production is only one terawatt hour. It was not a very current number, but the latest statistic I found was from 2015. So if we compare two countries side by side, they have a strikingly similar energy profile. So uh, rated their security, equity, and environmental sustainability, they receive the same rates, A, B, and D. Uh, note that uh, energy security in both countries, despite all the um, discussion in the media about potential problems, they're rated rather highly. This is the world ranking. So Estonia is 20, number 22, and Ukraine is number 20 in the world. Uh, however, also health and environmental sustainability of these energy sources is rather low. It's a D. And this is the type of dilemma that you face when you're trying to secure uh, electricity demand as a country, but do this through um, using domestic uh, fossil resources. Both countries have relatively high um, energy intensities, meaning the energy input that goes into producing one unit of their GDP. And the average Ukrainian uh, energy intensity is three times higher than average European. Um, and note that Estonian GDP is nearly three times larger than Ukrainian. Still, these countries have similar uh, greenhouse gas emission rates per capita. So now let's, uh, this was the overview of the energy landscapes in both countries. Um, here I'm going to present uh, the results of uh, the online opinion poll, a survey that uh, I conducted at the beginning of last year. I had a thousand people participate um, from Western Estonia to Southern Ukraine, and these regions were chosen because of the high wind potential in these coastal regions. So focused on four areas. They're all located on the Baltic Sea. And uh, Tallinn is here in Kharkiv, and this is where most of the people live. So one third of the population lives here. This is the uh, less populous part of the country. And uh, here we have high wind speeds. Uh, as for Ukraine, we also looked at the parts of Ukraine that are on the Black Sea. And they already have some uh, wind uh, parks, which means that it's taking out the hypothetical bias of the person never seen a wind park. Then it might be more difficult for them to have an opinion about it. Uh, so now I'm going to present to you just general views of the future uh, of Ukrainian and Estonian population. So first we asked about uh, how the estimate uh, their future without fossil energy sources. And it looks like majority believe that this is possible. The Ukrainians are more optimistic about it, even though they use more renewables, uh, sorry, uh, use more uh, fossil um, in their production. Here we have uh, nuclear power. Well, as the same questions was asked about nuclear 
And interestingly, 46% uh, Estonians would agree with that. I, I would have expected a much higher number because Estonia doesn't have nuclear power. So at the moment, they already live without it. But I guess they, the question was interpreted as in general in the world. Um, here is the wished, desired electricity mix. Uh, it looks like a sto uh, Ukrainian respondents would prefer nearly 80% of their energy come from wind or solar compared to the 1% that is currently, uh, that these technologies currently cover uh, in the electricity mix. And notice the disparity between the desired mix, current production, and the policy goals. So the policy goals for uh, 2030, for 2020, are nowhere close to what the people reported that their desired electricity mix is going to look like. Estonians did acknowledge that they might have more wind resource than solar, which made sense to me. So I asked about I tried to figure out, do they know from which resources the electricity comes from? <coughs> so we asked to uh, tell us which were the first and the second most important sources where uh, electricity is what electricity is produced from. And most Ukrainians could name these two. However, uh, a lot of them mixed up the order. So most of them thought that was more important than nuclear, but in the effect, these are the two uh, major sources. Uh, Estonians were pretty clear about fossils, so the oil shale, as I said, is entrenched in Estonian uh, communities and psyche. So uh, there were, as for the second uh, source by energy and wind was uh, named a lot, which I, I think were uh, both correct answers because they're very close in percentage at the moment and wind is growing very rapidly, probably will take over uh, woody biomass pretty fast. Um, so then I wanted to know general attitudes towards uh, wind energy and it looks like uh, Ukrainians and Estonians, the majority, very large majority has pretty acceptance of um, Wind energy. However, it's not a surprise whenever you ask in a public poll about um, renewable energies, a lot of people will say yes, please. However, that will be qualified. I will show this later slide. Um, we also asked another question just to be sure the previous question was understood uh, correctly. Is it an important source of renewable energy in Estonia and Ukraine? The answer from the majorities was yes. Now, I was interested in NIMBY. Who knows what NIMBY stands for? <coughs> Not in my <coughs> Who knows uh, another version? I'll say it's banana. All right, so uh, build any, uh, absolutely nothing near anything. Anywhere against, uh, near anything. <laughs> so um, NIMBY and banana are uh, very much connected. So here, uh, I was <coughs> trying to investigate how many would agree living in the site of wind turbine. And this is a very strong, 
question because most of the people want their cell clusters of turbine. Uh, so I was surprised to see these numbers. It looks like majority. So if you see that these people are neutral, it looks like there is more green than gray in there. But again, it looks like there are better places for development of wind rather than residential areas. So pretty large majorities agreed that the best place for wind parks to be is near highways, railroad tracks, power lines, so the places that are already developed. Uh, now we presented the question as a trade-off, because you can't have a free lunch that's the basic lesson in economics. So the trade-off was uh, uh, energy security uh, through domestic supply of wind energy versus changes in the landscape, and because uh, wind turbines uh, might not be seen as aesthetically pleasing by some people. Some people think they're pretty cool and they even take touristic trips there, as we have seen people in Block Island, the first offshore wind park in, in the US, um, have now, uh, I don't know, using Block Island as a tourist attraction with people on the boat and with the turbines. So, again, if I interpret this graph, I would say that energy supply is a concern because some people want to trade off the untouched landscapes against uh, securing electricity supply. And here, uh, I was investigating the local aspect of wind energy. So, uh, we will reduce dependence from abroad if we develop wind energy at home. And again, majorities, and again, Ukrainians are more optimistic about it. Um, we're agreeing with that statement. Again, local economy, because we know that if uh, fossil um, fuel, like old shale in Estonia, or coal mining in uh, Ukraine goes away, uh, we, we still want to uh, develop these areas, we still want jobs. So majority of the respondents thought that wind, uh, wind energy could contribute to local economies. And again, strong agreement that this resource should be used as much as possible. However, I, I should have said local resource because fossil fuels are also local resources. So any local resource should be used as much as possible. Uh, then uh, we designed a beauty contest of, uh, of a wind project uh, based on literature review and, and uh, focus groups that we conducted we identified five most important factors uh, that characterize a wind project that people cared about so these are this is ecological impact the location project developers identity who this, this is the scheme of revenue sharing, some revenue sharing and nothing, and then options for public participation. Uh, if energy security is a really big concern, this attribute, this characteristic of the wind project would, would be ranked as the most important one. However, the real world doesn't work as 
the ranking, of course, we want the project that has the lowest impact and is uh, in the industrial zone and so on and so forth. Uh, I wanted to know first what is the ranking of these attributes if they're presented as a trade off? Because you can't have the best uh, um, project uh, every time. So we started uh, setting up a joint choice experiment. Uh, this is, again, if I think about it, as a beauty contest for the best one project. This is a type of a screen that uh, participants receive, and they um, needed to choose uh, among the projects, and the attributes were generated uh, by the computer. And later, the responses were used to uh, figure out uh, what kind of utility levels, utility is like happiness for consumers, uh, were connected to what, uh, what characteristic or what kind of option. So uh, by the show of hands, who, which of you think that the developer was the most important characteristic, meaning that the, there were really, really um, large fears over energy supply in the country. Okay. Uh, which ones, or which ones do you think were the most important characteristics? Revenue sharing. Okay. Uh, as an economist, I would have thought the same, because these are economically not very developed countries, so I would think that it's important. Think it's location. That's a good, um, that's good thinking. Why do you think so? Practically every such thing in the U.S. moves by location. You are right in the sense that in Estonia and Ukraine, ecological impacts and location, which I interpret as ecological and landscape impacts of the wind project, were the most important characteristic. So these were the first two, and. These rankings were consistent also with the third country we conducted the same choice experiment in Switzerland. So to me, it looks like there are some features of wind projects that are just uh, universally preferred. And uh, these are uh, don't kill the birds and, birds and bats and put it in a location that is already developed far away from where we live. However, if you look at the project developer's identity, it's a still an important attribute. It's ranked number three in Estonia and number four in Ukraine. However, the difference is just a couple percentage points. Notice that these relative importances add up to 100%. Okay, so on average, every attribute would be 20%. So those who, that are above 20 are above average important, and those that are below 20 are uh, less important. So what was surprising is that participation, public participation, uh, which receives a lot of media attention, uh, was not one of the most important criteria. It was still important, uh, but uh, not as important as ecological and landscape impacts. So now I will zoom in to every one of these uh, characteristics, and we will uh, see this in more detail. So ecological impact. Rather simple, this axis represents utility. So this is positive utility, this is negative utility. Um, 
smaller the impacts, the better. That's how I interpret it. This is the zero line. Okay, these are low and almost non-existent impacts that can end up being positive digitally. Now, location. Again, these are pretty consistent preferences across countries. I was very surprised. I, was, I, I thought that they would be pretty different. Um, people prefer projects built on agricultural lands or in industrial and commercial zones. Um, Estonians are very much against the wind projects near residential areas as well as ecologically significant landscapes. Uh, project developers' identity, which could be used as a proxy for our energy security questions. As we expected, foreign energy companies were not specifically liked, especially not by Estonians. Ukrainians, it's close to zero, but it's still a negative number. Uh, best project developers are probably local electric utilities, often, uh, often public, or a cooperation between local utility and some kind of outside investors. Uh, Estonians were accepting of individuals from the region developing their wind projects, while Ukrainians were slightly skeptical about that. Uh, in a similar vein, Ukrainians were slightly skeptical about revenue sharing with private landowners, so with individual landowners. Estonians were more accepting about uh, to this. I guess this is the cultural differences that Estonians. Um, Embrace individual entrepreneurship uh, and related uh, revenues more than Ukrainians. We'll, we'll not know about it. Because if you're thinking of probably community projects, when people from the community come together and finance the projects themselves. This also happens, but this is, was not the setup of this experiment. Just as what would it investment? But they will share the father of revenue yes. to the public? To the public, exactly. So we were asking, what, what do you think is the just uh, fair way of allocating some of the profits? About the percentage. <clears throat> yeah. So about the, how much is the sharing? Uh, so we, we set up, um, we connected these numbers to the numbers that uh, are currently um, revenue sharing in Switzerland and adjusted it for income and purchasing power parity. Um, these are not very large numbers. This would be about $50 per year per household uh, for Estonia uh, and equivalent of that in Ukrainian hryvnias um, in the local currency adjusted for the purchasing power parity. So $50 even for Estonian households per year is not very much. How about in terms of percentage of uh, revenue? Well, it depends on the wind park. If it's a large wind park, it will have very large revenues. If it's a small wind park, it will have smaller revenues. So I cannot tell exactly how much the percentage is going to be. Uh, but we did specify exact numbers, so it's not like unclear how much is the revenue. And it looks like and uh, the, the revenue sharing with municipality would be around 50000 and I think that people thought that with this money, you can already do something. As I said, improve school uh, facilities or build something that the community needs. As a, and we can see that revenue sharing with municipality was one of the uh, preferred options, too. Make sense? All right, let me try. Hope this works. 
And for some reason, it doesn't. All right. So luckily, I'm reaching my conclusions. And I'm sure that you'll be all with me. And there were only words on the slides anyway. So I'm through, uh, I'm through my fun picture slides. So what did I learn from this exercise? And what did you learn with me? that high shares of population in both countries um, would like to see wind energy developed on national and local level. However, um, the wind energy projects might be better marketed on environmental grants because the both uh, most important attributes in my experiment were environmental and landscape impacts, which are important to minimize in order for the project to be accepted and this will allow um, faster building of wind energy, which is a domestic energy resource. We care about it in the context of energy security. Um, the punchline is to keep projects bird and bat friendly and not uh, disruptive of the landscape. So uh, if you remember my beauty contest of wind energy projects, uh, the winner is the wind energy project that has smallest ecological impact that is built on agricultural uh, or industrial commercial land is developed by a utility company alone or with a specialized investor offers some sort of revenue sharing with municipality or all, all residents and allows local population to co-determine the number and location of wind turbines i'm going to uh, tell you also about the new project that I'm starting. So this, this one is finished. It's been a world premiere of the results. Uh, I'm going to investigate um, social acceptance of offshore wind uh, in uh, uh, off the coast in Maryland and Massachusetts. This is where a lot of projects are planned. A lot of, so there's only one uh, offshore wind project in the US that I mentioned before, it's Block Island. So a lot of people don't even know how such a project would look like. And we're solving this problem by uh, offering virtual reality experience. Uh, we go out to the community where uh, this project uh, is planned, we'll film the landscape, the, the ocean view, and we'll uh, graphically uh, put planned wind turbines in there and let people interact uh, with them in the virtual reality. Um, context allow them to zoom in and zoom out and this will also have some audio to see uh, how people interpret the noise and where it comes from and how do uh, these wind turbines how aesthetically pleasing or displeasing they're ranked depending on different weather conditions because they will be more visible in clear summer days rather than um, not so clear winter days and if in Massachusetts I think fog <laughs> So um, we planned a pre-study with Bethlehem University and their students um, to happen this year, and hopefully next year we'll work with the communities, and hopefully next year I'll be back here again to present you for the results of this experiment. And I would like to acknowledge my colleagues from the uh, University of Sundalen who were involved in this study, as well as our project partners in Ukraine at uh, Sumi State University, and um, my project partners at the University of Buckingham, Estonia. Thank you, and we have time for questions.